0: Help us to receive your word this morning, to receive what it is that you have to say. Uh, may our hearts be available, um, open. and um, Yeah, Lord, just empower Chris to, to preach this morning. And uh, yeah, help us to glorify you. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, you may uh, be seated. Again, welcome to Mercy Fellowship. If you're with us here in person, it's great to see your face. If you're with us online, thank you so much for joining us on, on the live feed there. And so here at Mercy Fellowship, we are saved by Jesus' work, we are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people, And so we said as we came into this year, into 2022, that for us, making disciples this year, we believe means that we will be rooted because Christ is in us, we'll be resolved because Christ is for us, and we'll be resting because we are in Christ. And so part of that being rooted uh, is specifically in God's Word and in, in community is that when we gather together as uh, the church, as we gather together as a body of believers and, and, and seekers and those who, you know, maybe are just here because you got guilted into it, right, when we come together, um, a, a significant portion of our time is going to be spent looking at God's Word and, and hoping that, that it shines a light into the darkness that is our hearts and maybe even into our world. And so today we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and this is part of a series that we've been in uh, off and on uh, since fall uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes called Vapor, Finding Meaning Under the Sun. And so, for many different chapters, we've looked at, at wisdom and folly, and what does it look like to per, pursue wealth and pleasure, and and all these different things. We had politics; that was fun, right? You know, and, and all sorts of different ways do we try to find meaning and purpose in the world? And and, and for the most part, um, Ecclesiastes, um, being really a sermon written by Solomon to God's people, to say, hey, here's where wisdom is found, here's where meaning is found. For the most part, it's it's pretty organized, which I like. I mean, my mind is squirrely. Uh, how I talk is even a little more erratic, so I like it when things are neat and organized. Then we come to a chapter like today, chapter 10, where when I crack open a commentary, like, like the really, really smart guys and gals that study this stuff are like, we don't know how to organize this one. It's, it's just kind of all over the board. And so earlier in Ecclesiastes, we said, hey, each week is going to be like visiting the Smithsonian, and, and, and now we're a natural history museum, and now we're you know an air and space museum. Um, today is going to be a lot less like going to a museum that's dedicated to one topic. And I want you to think about our time today as walking through a farmer's market. And the reason I say farmer's market is we all know, like you, you go there because you're like, well, there's gonna be people there and maybe I'll get an elephant here and maybe there's good deals on flowers. And then you start walking around the booths and you're like, what's, what's, in, what's in that one? Like, like, did my dog need a pot holder? Like, why is that even a, a thing, right? And then, and then you go to another booth and you're like, oh, like they wanna ask me questions about life. That's great. And, then, and you play a game called cult or candidate right? And you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know what they're trying to draw me into here. And, and, and then, you know, you just, you came for the elephant ear and you left with like homemade soap. And now everyone's wondering why, you know, why you smell like honey. Uh, and so um, that's kind of how it's going to be today. Um, I'm going to try to make it make sense. Uh, and my promise to you is if you stick with me through this, then we'll get to good news and we'll get to some clarity and we'll get to some hope. So if you have your Bibles, and I, and I hope you do, um, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, uh, and we're gonna kind of look at maybe the, the first booth of this farmer's market to kind of outline a bit of foolishness, if you will. Uh, and, and as we read these and, and, and all these verses, maybe no matter how you've come in today, maybe all of us could start from a place of, I don't think I'm as wise as I think I am. Or maybe I'm not as knowledgeable as I think I am. Or maybe I'm not the authority over all things like I, I think I am. And so if we can start with that disposition, then maybe we can allow God's word to, to shape us and, 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 and shine some light into our hearts and, and, like I said, hopefully give us some hope and clarity. So here we are, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to start with verses 1 through 3. and Just keep your Bibles open if you have them or keep the app open because we'll be jumping around. Okay, 1 through 3 says this. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. All right, first booth, foolishness. So um, chapter nine ended with saying, hey, one man's sin or one person's sin impacts a multitude of people. And we said, hey, there's good news in that because in Jesus Christ, one man's righteousness and one man's sacrifice purchase life and eternity for, for billions. So there's good news there. And so Solomon, though, is gonna keep riffing on the idea of foolishness uh, and, and folly. And we said last week that, hey, we wanna be people who, who die one day but live all others and so if we're going to to live in light of our death and not in the shadow of it then maybe we need to think about how i navigate the world what's the purpose of wisdom what is foolishness and folly doing and so he opens this whole chapter uh, about a little bit of foolishness a little bit of folly overwhelming all of our pursuits of wisdom and honor and so um Right, we, we get the concept of how, for the most part, somebody is like crushing it and they're doing great uh, and, and they're good in all these areas, but yet there's an area of wisdom or an area of foolishness that is lacking and it leads to shipwrecking their lives. It leads to harming others. It leads to hurting relationships. It hinders their flourishing. And so all of us have these. All of us have these blind spots. And so let's start from a place where God says every single one of us, men and women, every single one of us is worthy of dignity and honor and respect. That we're all equal in value to God. And then also hold that with the tension that not every path we take or every decision we make or every affinity we have is of equal worth and value. Right? God's image is on all of us. God has breathed life into all of us. But not every path we follow will lead to flourishing or life or joy. And so, here he talks about uh, the fool um, and, and this idea of a fool. Sometimes we think that's more like a buffoon or a clown, um, right? Like, like Homer Simpson, Peter Griffin, um, you know, just, I mean, I don't know, uh, anybody on the tic-tac, right? You know, just scroll through tic-tac. That, that's what it's called, right? Tic-tac on, on the line? No? I'm just trying to be out of touch. Okay. Right? Just scroll through TikTok and we're like fool, 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 recipe, fool, fool, right? And, and that's not what he's talking about. He's actually talking about, not a, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, an intellectual deficiency or a cultural one, but he's actually talking about a moral and spiritual one. Because as we, we kind of opened this morning, um, when Rachel did the call to worship, right? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so it's starting with a theological position that there's a God who made everything. That he's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving. His ways are good and pure and true. And so if we live in light of those, it's going to lead us to greater joy and life and flourishing. And so we like to think that a, that a good life uh, will somehow overshadow uh, all of our areas of foolishness, but, but what he's saying here, this idea of the fly in the ointment, is just a little bit of sin, a little bit of foolishness, a little bit of folly can outweigh a ton of honor, a ton of wisdom. And so, we think about that, right, like, at at no point, um, you know, it was, I think, a year ago, right, there's all the riots going on um, all across the country for a variety of reasons, Um, you know, race and politics and all those things, Uh, and at one point, a guy from CNN, like like the crawler, said, mostly peaceful protest, but in the back, like, everything was on fire. Okay, maybe that was the one spot everything was on fire, but mostly peaceful? That's like being a little pregnant, right? Right? You know, and so like nobody's like, hey, your burrito is 99% healthy and good for you. But we put in like one little piece of like rancid dog meat. You're like, cool, that's fine. No, that, it ruins the whole thing. And What he's saying is, even when everything kind of looks okay, there's, those blemishes, the, the, the brokenness, the, that foolishness ends up having an, an outweighted impact from all of the other honor and all the other good. And it stems really internally. Like it comes from our hearts, that folly comes from our hearts. Verse two, uh, right, says, a wise man's heart inclines to the right, but the fool's heart to the left. Now, hold the phone for a second, because Solomon, a couple thousand years ago, not engaged in American politics in the 20th century, okay? So this is not like, hey, we just own the libs with uh, you know, Ecclesiastes chapter 10 two, because you know, everybody, all the fools go to the left. Um, You know, I joke, I actually got an email once um, from a conservative politician that had that as a signature and I was like, bro, not what he's talking about. Not what he's talking about. So what what is he talking about? In that society and in that culture, to be directed to the right and and to lean towards the right hand meant to be wise and skillful in your day-to-day life. It was to pursue that which leads to actual flourishing. And to have your heart's affections and inclinations to that which will bring life. And to, to be to the left was referring to left-handedness, which in, in that time, because right people would battle with swords and shields, Like if you were left-handed, you were at a disadvantage. Right? Not, not the case today. But, but if you were left-handed then, it, w- it was seen as like, ooh, that, that, that's just not as effective. So to, to have your heart's inclination to the left is not the political left but is to pursue that which is not wise and that which is not life-giving. To walk away from the idea that there is a God who's over us and walk towards the idea that we can live independently as our own gods. So we desire this, our heart's desires betray who we are and we desire folly because of, of foolishness in our hearts that just says there's not a God. Or we function like there's not one, like there's nobody over us, like there's nothing that we're going to be accountable to or for. And so the fool in these verses confidently relies on their own wisdom and ability, and eventually their life shows it, right? It says at the end of verse 3, like, when the fool goes down the street, everyone knows. And it's that idea of that confidence that outpaces your competency, right? Leadership or uh, 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 being assertive that outpaces your character, and it leads to foolishness. And, it, and so I'm going to close this section, this booth, uh, with literally no practical advice, okay? The reason I believe this booth is here is just to help us frame some of reality and help us understand how the world works, or rather it doesn't work, that it, that it should sober us Individually, of, of my, if, am I pursuing wisdom that comes from the Lord or am I pursuing my own desires? And, and, and that'll have this much impact when it's individual. But the next booth we go into is gonna show us what it looks like when it impacts leadership and when it impacts government. So this leads us to verses four through seven. Here we go. Four through seven, foolish politics. Don't worry, this is a short uh, short section. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, Do not leave your place, for calamities um, will lay great offense to rest. Excuse me, calamities. (laughs) Opposite. Calmness or healing. Big difference. Try calamities, see how it goes. Okay. Calmness will lay great offense to rest. There's an evil I've seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler, folly set in many high places, uh, and the rich sit in low places. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves." so in this section he's saying hey this is what happens when when the foolishness isn't isn't kind of at the ground level but foolishness is is ruling from the top down and 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 we know that those in leadership in in the home and in church and business in school in politics and government and or in the world and in economics and whatever sphere leadership has a huge impact on those people around them and so in in this case when the foolishness creeps into leadership and even the relationship between government and citizens, the relationship between pastors and others in the church, the relationship between teachers and students, the relationship within the home, when this starts to creep in, there are individual and corporate consequences. And it says, hey, in this case, the ruler's actually mad at you and I know that's that's tough to think about because right, a lot of us have a lot of frustration for those who are in authority at times. But here he's saying, hey, by the way, those who are in authority or those who have some leadership, sometimes they're frustrated too. And he's saying the answer to this is not to burn everything to the ground and try to start over or say all leadership is bad. But he actually says, and I I mean I highlighted it when I didn't mean to, I read calamities. But it actually says, with calmness, it leads great offenses to rest. The word there, your Bible might say in Hebrew, actually means healing. That when there's brokenness in leadership, or there's brokenness in government, that the answer might not always be to hit the eject button. Right? The eject button's easy. We're more mobile than we've ever been. Right? A lot of us work in industries right, where you can just, hey, I, I can live wherever I want, so if I just don't like it here, I'll go over there. Right? Guys, there's dozens and dozens of churches around. You can go visit them, they're, they're great. Or they're not, I don't know, because I hang out here most of the time. There are great faithful churches in this area. But like, we can always move, we can always change. right? You don't like your school, you change your school. You don't like your marriage, you leave your marriage. right? And so in this case, you say, hey, um, it's not always smart to hit the eject button. Now, let me be clear what I'm not saying. Where there's abuse, where there's abuse of government, where there's abuse of spouses, where there's abuse of leadership, go. But where there's just differences or discontentment or disunity, then those are times to to press in, to seek healing. And and that's so difficult, um, right, to press in peacefully, because we'd rather hit eject. Proverbs 15:1 says, a soft word turns away wrath. That calmness in verse four, the calamity, right? It translates healing. And that's so difficult because our baseline is, let's just rage. Two summers ago, right? We just saw that. Just rage in the streets. Rage in the streets, far, far on the left here in the Pacific Northwest, and then these wackos on the right show up and just make it so much better, right? And they just clash, and there's just rage, and buildings get burned down, and anger's out there, and at the end of the day, it just led to boarded up cities and greater discontentment and greater distrust of our fellow men and women. And so, to seek peace, to be patient, to be calm, to hope for healing. That's what we're called to do most all the time. Again, not an excuse for abuse, okay? That, that's its own category. But well, then what do we do? Because I mean, we get so much frustration built up, we got opinions we wanna share, all that. Like, I mean, let's be people who pray for our leaders. Let's be people who pray for one another. Let's be people who pray for our community, who pray for our state, who pray for our country, who pray for our world. Send your prayers to God. Send your cares to God because He cares a lot about them. And He's the one that has power to change hearts, to change the course of history. And instead, we do this. Go to the end of chapter 10. See, we gotta tie some verses together. Chapter 10, it's the end of this chapter on, uh, that has a lot of different things. Verse 10, uh, 20 says this, here's what's not to do. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell of the matter. Guys, this is the Twitter verse right here, in Ecclesiastes. Okay, don't tell me God's word's not relevant to today. Right? We're talking a couple thousand years before Jack Dorsey came out of his cave with his beard and was like, tweet. But this is what we do. And what he's saying here is you, know, you got your anger, that's fine. You got your frustration, that's fine. And, and he says while well, you're, well, you're laying in bed, like, like some of us have a really healthy habit and sometimes that's me where I'm like, you know what I wanna do to help me calm down and go to sleep? Doom scroll, right? I'm sure I'll just sleep so much better if I finally made it to the end of Twitter feeds of every person that's angry about everything. And then I'll read an article. You know, wow, that was really informative to me. Changed the way I saw something. I should hit share and tell everybody else to read it because everybody else, all of our friends, do you know all of your friends are only one share away from them agreeing with everything you believe 100%? No, no, none of them are. Nobody's one DM away from just totally flipping their entire worldview. Let's be wise. I'm not saying get off social media. I'm, I'm there. But let's be wise in how we engage. I mean, I, I'm not perfect at that. So, let's, I mean, you want to go, go ahead and scroll through. That's fine. You'll be like, I didn't like it when he said that. Didn't like it when he did that. There's a picture of his kids. There's a picture of a mountain. Ooh, don't like that at all. Okay. But let's be wise about our witness to the world and the impact on those around us. And recognize if you do something online, it's out there, forever. My kids are just starting to grow up, and uh, uh, starting to grow up. Our kids are just starting to, um, you know, get to, to teenage years, and I'm like, right now they're not on social media, but but when they get on, I want to be like, hey, remember everything you post now today is what's going to get you fired in 15 years. So you got to be careful, right? Like we treat social media at times like it's our, pr- our public private diary or that because we put it on the phone, it's not out of our heads, you know, like a diary, but now it's out there for everybody. Is there a place for social media? 100%. Like it's, it can be a tool. But let's be clear what it is. It is a window to the world around us and the opinions and worldviews of those around us. I think social media is a great window to look out and see what's going on. It's a terrible door for deeper relationships, for deeper intimacy, and deeper understanding and connection. Because all anybody's doing out there is shouting. And we forget that there's people behind, I was going to say keyboard, nobody's looking at keyboard, right? There's a person behind that phone, and there are thoughts in the soul, but, okay, I'll leave that alone. Um, Guys, I... um, I would love to talk about politics forever Um, and some of you know that and and much to uh, to your displeasure and I mean I'm right at home with politics and the reason I I love talking about politics is because I believe politics impact uh, policies and policies impact people and people matter to God that said that's not where we're called to live like we visit we engage but that can't be where our minds are at all the time so, as we close out kind of this section, I, I want us to think not about our earthly, you know, 24 hour news cycle politics, but I want us to consider eternal politics. That really our souls and, and why they're so restless and, and why we, we pursue folly is, and why there's evil and brokenness that can proceed from our lives, it, it has to do with eternal politics. That before sin and brokenness entered the world, we had godly leadership. Because we had God as our leader. We had God who created the guardian, God who put us in, God who gave us a purpose, God who made us men and women, God who said, go multiply, like create culture, produce all these different things, be fruitful and multiply. Like that was his campaign slogan. And we said, no, I don't want that. I want men and women in charge over God. I want you, you might be the source of life and joy and purpose and everything that is good, but we think we can do better. And so we rejected God. And, And. Our response was to reject his rule and alienate ourselves from God. And so we have this inverted relationship where we've placed ourselves in charge. And and I'm not just like, this isn't like a, you know, just a Jesus juke in the middle of the sermon. This is from the text here. In verses 6 and 7, he talks about how he's seen the rich in the low place and and the poor in the high place. That's not a social justice thing. When he says princes are down low and slaves are up high, what he's talking about is an inversion of relationship and order. So it's, it's, not, it's not an equity verse. And that's a, that's a concept to dive into, that's great. But it's a verse of inverted relationship, saying God was on the throne, and you've taken God off the throne and you've put him kinda off to the side or out on the street, and now you're the one riding in a place of honor. You've put yourself on the throne or in transportation parlance, right, because it's talking about horses and, and, and walking. Like, like, you're in the private jet, and God's on the bus. And, and the, the difficulty with that is, is our challenge is, we think that being on the private jet's great, but then we grab the controls, and we start to fly, and we fly with all of the precision of a drunken baby, and then we wonder why we crashed, and then we blame God. Bro, take your hand off, off, off the wheel there. Get the right person as the pilot. Like, like recognize what your relationship to God is because otherwise um, this foolishness will impact your daily life and it will shipwreck your relationships. And that leads us to the next booth. Verses eight through 10. This is where it's kind of the daily life. So we've, we've hit politics exhale okay now we're into daily life it says this verses 8 through 10 and then 18 8 10 11 and 18 8 10, 11 18 he who digs a pit will fall into it and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall he who quarries stone is hurt by them he who splits logs is endangered by them If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed or gives an advantage for success. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Now go ahead and skip down to verse 18. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. So we hit the politics booth, now we've kinda hit the, we're into the daily life booth. How's work going? How's relationships going? Our daily lives can have a whole bunch of different pursuits, but that first one has to do with just what's your disposition to other people, because verse eight uh, says, he who digs a pit will fall into it. Okay, that's not road crew. What he's actually talking about here is those who are digging a pit to ensnare others so if the pursuits of your life are leading to death and destruction or or frustration for others stop it and that laying of a pit is also like a trap and it's the idea that yeah others have hurt you others have hurt me so god says vengeance is mine says the lord he is the one who judges ultimately But we take that into our own hands and say, no, no, I'm going to be consumed with revenge. I'm going to be consumed with bitterness. And I'm going to walk through my life seeking to knock somebody else down a peg because they hurt me. Or then there'll be justice. Then everything will be okay. And he's saying, no, stop setting a trap because if you set a trap, you're the one that's going to fall into it. Um, Last fall, right, we preached uh, in the book of Esther and there's this kind of evil Hitler character literally who's trying to kill all the Jews named Haman and he he builds these massive gallows because he wants to hang one of his political opponents and then at the end of the story, he's the one that's hung. You dig a pit of bitterness and resentment and jealousy and anger, that's where you're gonna go. The person you hope gets knocked down is not gonna probably be impacted. But you keep digging that, that ditch of revenge, of anger and bitterness, and it, it just keeps deeper and deeper. so don't do that. He's saying as well that, um, you know, sometimes there's just inherent difficulties in certain activities. To, to break a wall is a self-centered destruction. So this isn't Demo Day. Some of you guys just did Demo Day on house projects. That's great. This isn't Demo Day. This is, I have destroyed barriers and boundaries in my life. I've destroyed walls that are uphold the structure of my life. And when I, when I did that, I got bit by a snake, and I'm the one that got hurt. I thought that, that busting through those boundaries was going to lead me to greater freedom, but instead, my life came crashing down on me. He's saying, Avoid activities, addictions, proclivities, things that are leading to your destruction because you're going to get hurt through it. And then he goes on to say, hey, then there's just part of life that's tough. That our jobs and our pursuits, that that there's just some inherent danger uh, around them, right? He says that, He who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. Like, that's just like going about your daily life, trying to get your work done, trying to keep your house maintained, trying to love your family, trying to maintain your relationships. And it's just difficult. And you're gonna get hurt. And there's gonna be times that are more painful than others. And those are times to to endure, yes, but, like, I mean, I'm not a stone cutter or log splitter. But there's ways when we pursue wisdom that things can in general go better than when we pursue foolishness. That when we're reckless in our daily lives that it can lead to more frustration. And then he talks about, right, um, if a... Uh, um, you know, if the roof sinks in and your house starts to leak when there's, there's sloth and, and, and kind of um, avoiding kind of just regular maintenance on our lives and souls. I, I think this happens in our souls where we kind of, we lose resolve, we discard diligence in, in, in things that we know we're going to lead to greater life. Right? Consuming God's word, like we said this year, we want to be rooted, rooted in God's word, rooted in community. That when we neglect those things, when you haven't gathered at a church for months and months, when your Bible's gotten dust on it or you don't even know where the app is on your phone, right, when you haven't prayed for a while, when you haven't been with other brothers and sisters in Christ and just either, either cried or been encouraged, that, that it leads to our, our spiritual house falling into disrepair and into decay that our soul needs regular maintenance and so yeah i mean you can you can kind of brute force some things right he's like hey an unsharpened axe i mean eventually you'll take the tree down but you know it's a lot wiser if you sharpen the axe so so we try to just white knuckle through our lives with with no spiritual discipline or discernment at all wonder why we get frustrated, wonder why we're, we're tired, wonder why we are, are just spiritually thirsty. It's saying, hey, pursue wisdom. Pursue communion with God. Pursue engaging with God's word and loving and engaging with God's people. Be deliberate to avoid disaster, but also just for, for life and for joy. The life of a disciple is one of deliberate diligence knowing that the house of our soul needs regular maintenance. Because what what happens when we don't do that is the condition of our souls will end up leaking out and impacting other people. And that leads us to our next booth, verses 12 through 15. Right, kind of out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is a booth that's kind of about how we talk about things and what what our words look like. Verses 12 and 15 says this. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what it is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know his way to the city. Our words, even a few of them, can have a great impact on other people. Right, how many of us, you, you, you've gone through a dinner, you've gone through an engagement with somebody, you've, you, you've, you've gone through a long conversation, and you're just like, I don't remember anything, but I remember when they said that. Or, or you think back on your childhood, and, and there's probably ama- many amazing things your parents said to you, but then they said that. And it has a huge impact. Or, or in your marriage, right, lots of dates, lots of you're beautiful, lots of this, lots of that, and then pff, you hit that word. And it's, it's, it's destruction, right? Destruction it says the wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of the fool will consume him. Right? It's kind of almost that fly in the ointment at the beginning, like, right? Just a little bit has a huge impact. The, the book of James talks about this. So it says our mouth is like a, a small rudder that turns a whole ship or one spark that sets a whole forest ablaze, right? We need to be and can be people whose words of encouragement and admonishment and comfort that are life-giving to others. But, but when our words are division and discouragement and condemnation, that begins to consume us and consume others, right? And ultimately we say foolishness is this, right? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. It doesn't matter what else you say after that. And so when we deny God, we are denying what is good. He is the source of good. He is the one who defines love. He is the one who brings life. And so, I think the encouragement here for us is hopefully to be people who listen well. It's a constant, like, area of emphasis for me. People who ask good questions. People who take time to patiently process what others have said. That's what helps us and allows us to to continue in a relationship with other people. And then he says this. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. The end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. Part of how we can be foolish with our words is making bold proclamations about things we know very little about. One of the things I coach my kids on is I can tell when they're getting super confident about something. I mean like personally confident, but they're like, they're about to make some bold assertion. I say, hey, do you have great knowledge on this topic? No, but I'm like super confident about it. And you're like, then let's not be as bold if we don't have great knowledge or wisdom in things. Like let's not boldly declare so and so is a this or this is what's going on in this situation when we maybe we don't really even know. And then he says a fool doesn't even really know what it is to be. Like right, we make great pronouncements about the near and long term future of things when we have no idea, and we can do this in the church too. Um, my wife told me about this uh, pastor uh, who had like totally shipwrecked his life. It was just a disaster. It blew up the church, blew up his marriage, all, all these different things. And she's like, yeah, and he's on Instagram. I was like, okay, well, what's, what's this guy throwing out? So I started to scroll through real quick um, and, and, and it got to a post that he shared at the beginning of 2020, January 1, 2020. And the post just this in big letters said, 2020 is your best year yet. Nope. I mean, not unless you were like, you know, on an island off the coast of Spain by yourself, right, you know, or like you just, right, 2020 was no one's best year yet, right, you hear a path, it's like, this is your year of favor, right, things are about to make a turn, I don't know, I know what God has promised for eternity, I know that God with the word spoke the universe into existence, I know Jesus Christ on the cross with the word said, it is finished, I know that when he re- returns, that, that, that we'll sing praises of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Those are words of life. Those are words to rely on. And, and, and it says here at the end of verse 15, right, a fool uh, uh, will toil and it will weary him. He doesn't know the way to the city. Um, in this context, he's saying, eventually your foolishness will lead you out in wilderness, eventually foolishness will lead you to wilderness it will not lead you to the city and and in this context cities were great places okay it's not Seattle 2022 okay right you drive on I-5 you're like get me through here as fast as I can seriously right nobody wants to go into the cities right now but in that place it was the country that wasn't safe all y'all with your, you know, five acres out in granite or you know whatever, like right, you're like, oh, I'm safe. Like, no, out there there was bandits, there's roving, you know, there's just you know, there is threats everywhere, there's beasts, there's foreign armies rolling through, but cities. Cities had walls around them and protection, and all of the good food from the region came in, and there's great music and culture and, and leadership and worship and all, all these different things are happening in the city. So so in the Bible, the city is the great destination. The plot of the Bible begins, right, garden, foolishness, sin, wilderness, hill of sacrifice with Jesus on the cross, and then the promise, not of going back to the garden, but being led to a city that comes down to us. A perfect, holy, amazing city with no chaz and no chop, just a perfect city. Like, where where there's light and good food and all these amazing things. And and, and, in our minds, we think, okay, if we just invest in politics or we just invest in business or we just invest in our families, if we just invest, we'll make that city here on earth. That's not an unworthy endeavor. Like, we should make the areas around us better. But God knows we're not able to achieve that on our own. And so the good news of the gospel is not that through wisdom somehow you'll make it to the city, but in God's wisdom, seeing our condition, seeing our foolishness, seeing our brokenness, that he brings the city to us. And he brings us out of the wilderness into the city. And he does that through faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That the question we have to really answer and wrestle with today is who is our king? And that brings us to verses 16 and 18. It says this, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your prince's feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is a son of nobility and your prince's feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. See, there's two cities and two destinations. So however you came in today, Your foolishness will lead you to wilderness, or reliance on the wisdom of God will lead you to the holy city. Those are the two paths, those are the two cities. Those are the two destinations. A forever city that is a land of woe and decay, or a forever city that is a place of joy. I mean, it literally uses the phrase here, happy land. right, some of y'all just came back from Disneyland. Two years ago, we just came back from Disneyland. Like, like everybody loves Disneyland. Who doesn't wanna live in a happy land? A place of abundance, a place of joy, a place of light, a place of life, a place where there's no sin or abuse or brokenness, where there's, there's not even separation in relationships, but there's intimacy and joy. That is the holy city. That is the destination for the people of God when they rely on the person of God in Jesus Christ. And so you may, meandered into the farmer's market and you're like, I don't know what I'm leaving with, but I, I hope you leave with hope in the forever city, that we on our own are dead and dirty, but God has made us alive and pure, that yes, we are few, uh, fools, we are the dead flies and the ointment of God's perfect creation, and by God's grace, God being a God of mercy, he doesn't look at that ointment with the dead flies and be like, "Oh, forget it. No, he dives in, in the person of Jesus Christ, and rather than God being defiled and and dirty, God's righteousness and purity makes what is dirty pure. So I don't know what your fly in the ointment is. The sins done to you, the abuse you've suffered, the things that have defiled you, the things you've done to others, the attitudes you have, or maybe even just everything's been awesome except you say in your heart there is no God. God comes in and he will make you pure. He will take out those flies of defilement and give you purity. And he leads you into not just having Jesus as your king, but being part of God's kingdom. Part of God's kingdom now, and part of God's kingdom forever. At the proper time, we are at an eternal feast where we get to look forward to to a a place that says is a happy land forever. And that leads us to our last verse and and, and we're done. Because this is our time to respond to God's word. Last verse is Ecclesiastes 10, 19. Some of the commentators are like, we don't know what to do with this. Here's what I think I'm gonna do with it today. I hope it gives us hope. Verse 19 says, bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. We're gonna transition into a time of worship and response for God's word. That If your hope is not in your own wisdom, but in the wisdom of God who uses the foolish to shame the wise, who sends a little baby into a poor area that is, that is forgotten and, and lets that be the king of the universe, to live the perfect life that none of us have lived, to die the death we deserve for our sin, to, to rise again so we can have new life now and forever, and, and promises his return with a holy city, But then we invite you to, to come forward and, and we're going we're to taste a little bread, a little wine, or a little juice, and remember Jesus' body broken for us. And maybe when you come up, you can, you can laugh for a moment then. God's wisdom was for Jesus to be on the cross instead of you and feel some relief. Maybe when you take the cup, you can be joyful, knowing that God saw you as so valuable that he was willing to sacrifice his son so that you could have life now and forever. And then as well, if you call this church home, we remember that God provided all things for us. Everything you have is from God. And we believe that if, if you're a Christian, that part of discipleship and, and being rooted in the gospel and, and resting in God's work and his provision is, is being faithful with our finances as stewards and how we manage our home finances, but also giving cheerfully and regularly and sacrificially to little embassies of God's kingdom here on earth and that, that's specifically here at our church. So if you call this church home, we encourage you to give cheerfully, regularly, and sacrificially. You can do that—the offering earns up front, or in the um, uh, giving box in the back. You can do it online. That's great. If, if if you're not a Christian, like we don't we don't want your money. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to know you're known by Jesus before the foundations of the world, and He's calling you to turn from the foolishness of believing you should be your own king or queen, and to be known and loved and led by the King of the Universe, who's who is just a, a greater leader than we are for ourselves and so finally we're going to sing in celebration because jesus was on the cross and we're not because jesus is alive and that we will enjoy a new eternal life with him today and forever when we simply trust jesus let's pray